Welcome to the Denver Deep Dive Podcast. We are your hosts, Charlie Cummings and Lorenzo Gonzalez. Thanks for joining us. Our focus is on bringing awareness to the expert knowledge, passion, and personalities that have been and continue to be part of Denver's vibrant growth. We'll be exploring commercial real estate, cryptocurrency, cannabis, food and beverage, and health and wellness, along with the experts operating enthusiastically in each space. Every episode will showcase the individuals impacting these arenas, what they see as industry participants, and what new insights you can take away for yourself and your current ventures. We know we aren't the only shamelessly curious people out there, so if you love learning for its own sake, you're in the right place. Follow us on social media, wherever you consume your podcast. On episode nine, we welcome Kayla McHugh, who is an account executive at EVI Consulting for the state of Colorado. Kayla and I met through Katie Nobel, who is a former guest on our podcast. EBI provides nationwide environmental and engineering due diligence and consulting services to clients. Kayla started with EBI six years ago in the corporate office outside of Boston, where she was born and raised. She has resided in Denver for almost five years and really enjoys the beauty and all the activities Colorado has to offer. Kayla, is it a pleasure to have you on our podcast? Thanks for having me, Charlie. So tell me about your nickname. <laughs> um. So the last few years of high school and right into college, I thought it'd be a good idea to be called KJ. My middle name's Jane. Um, and all my friends were like, you can't do that. Someone has to give you a nickname. You can just like make it up yourself. But I have a friend that I've been close with since I was like 10 years old who to this day calls me KJ because it's like never worked out for me. And it's an ongoing joke. But yeah, but I go by Kayla. Okay. <laughs> So uh, tell us about this environmental business. A lot of people probably don't understand, you know, we talk a lot about real estate in our podcast, but, you know, nobody really understands what, what is a due diligence? You know, most people on the residential side just know about, you know, appraisals and inspections, but there's a lot more in commercials. So explain, you know, what your role is and what, what EBI does in that world. Uh, so EBI provides environmental phase ones, phase twos, and we also do acquisition services. So engineering reporting. So, we provide a acquisition property condition assessment, which is like top to bottom. We send an engineer out for the whole day, um, checking out structural, all major systems on, in the building where you get real life costs tables where, um, you know, before you're going hard with money, those are important things to know about. If, hey, you got to replace the roof on a 300,000 square foot industrial building, that is a lot of money. And, you know, from there, we also do spinoff reports where we'll do roofing, just roofing reports, HVAC, MEP, elevator, parking garage, kind of things that are big overhead costs for owners. And they can use that as trade-in value when they're sitting down talking about the sales price sometimes, too. So Okay. So at what stage did you guys really get involved in this? So, you know, put an offer in on a deal. What stage are you guys getting involved? Ideally, right when the PSA <laughs> is signed. Okay. Um, but within that normally 30 to 45 day due diligence period, the earlier, the better, um, on our traditional reports, we try to deliver them within that 15 business day time period. But obviously we get those phone calls like, oh, I'm 15 days into our due diligence period. We need this in 10 days and we try to make it work. So, okay. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that, um, you know, as, as owners, uh, you, you know, you could give advice on is what you've seen out there. Um, as far as environmental reports, I mean, what, what things would you say really look out for in these reports that could be really major, major costs, uh, if, you know, issues down the road? 
Um, well, first of all, the biggest advice is to get the reporting right. done because that's something that doesn't happen all the time. You know, and it's crazy to me because you walk into maybe a million dollar deal that you're spending all this money on a property and then you don't want to spend X amount of dollars on, you know, checking the roof out. Things that are going to cost a lot of money. I just had my acquisitions manager out here. We did some meetings together and we had a phone call with a client and he does something cool. He does consulting, like investment consulting, and he's a property manager. So he's kind of seen it all. And he got brought into a project where they already bought the property. And guess what? No reporting was done and he has to replace the elevator. And it's going to cost thousands of dollars for that owner to do that. So I think, you know, people are like, oh, we don't want to spend the money. And what if you don't find anything? But hey, isn't that a peace of mind that we don't find anything? Or if we do, think about the money that you might save down the line or that you can budget for five years down the line. Like, oh, I've got to replace this in five years. We know this year one and now we can budget it in. And when we have to do it, it's not going to be like, oh my goodness, it's all this money. But so. And as far as phase one, phase two, explain that part. Because most people don't have any idea what that is. I mean, they, you know, but so explain kind of what that, what that means to, you know, a buyer or when that's needed. So normally environmental is driven by lenders. Mm -hmm. So, and they think it's kind of a checkbox for them, but they have to see it to, you know, they are also taking on risk lending on commercial property. Um, and normally environmental assessments, it's, you know, somebody goes and walks the site, historical data is pulled. We pull a database or a uh, review search. Um, you know, we interview anybody involved with the building. If it's the site manager, the site contact that's provided, you know, we try to get as much information as we possibly can. And from there, you know, we can see if there's been an environmental hazard that's been reported. We'll know if there's like groundwater contamination. And from there, you know, we'll do a phase two where we can then drill in, take samples, let you know if the contamination levels are high enough that you have to remediate it and kind of help you through that process too, depending. So what's been the worst thing you've seen from the environmental standpoint? Uh, with, with a client or project, anything that, that kind of strikes you as being just real, a really messy deal? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really just depends, too. It's, it's dependent on if the client wants to go forward after we say, hey, there's a phase two. You know, there's some lenders, right. they say, oh, no, we see a hazard. That's it. We're not lending on it. And, you know, they back out of the deal, too. Um, you know, we've been working with clients that decided to go forward and we do yearly reporting, monthly reporting on those to kind of see where the levels are. But there's something to be said about people that are remediating and doing the right thing and that are buying the properties and they still want to go forward with it. Sometimes it's a six to 18 month process. Sometimes it could take years. It just really depends on the hazard and what needs to be remediated. So, Okay. So uh, how did you get into this? Um, it just honestly happened. It wasn't like a plan. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get into environmental <laughs> consulting and engineering for real estate. Um, I was in logistics prior. I worked for a company where I worked for the EU office where they kind of did transportation for chemicals for manufacturing companies where they owned warehouses or teamed up with warehouses, sold the chemicals out of them, and then we set up the shipments. Okay. Um, and you know, that was a con, it was a contracting job out of Boston. I was working like 4am to 1pm. It was like oh. crazy. Cause I was working EU hours and I had a friend that I had known since I was 15. He still works at EBI as well. I said, Hey, I, I started at EBI. They're, you know, hiring, you should come and do a interview and see what happens. And 
you know, from there, I started an entry level position and I did inside sales. And now I'm an account executive as of last January. So it's been a journey. Well, congrats. <laughs> and it took you out here. So it did. I mean, I actually, EBI was kind enough to let me become remote. I mean, I kind of went to them and said, I'm moving to Denver. Can I become remote? Is that possible for me? And they let me and they kind of gave me that opportunity to come out here with a job, which has been great. So what would you say, um, as far as now clients and, and business, the difference between working in the Northeast and then working out here, you know, we're so, you know, I moved out here from New Jersey. So, you know, certainly similarities between what we've experienced back East. So what would you say is kind of things that have struck you as being very different as, as how people do business out here? Um, I definitely feel like there's a West Coast mentality. Um, I feel like in Boston, it was go, 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 go. And I do feel like people have that whole like work-life balance thing going out here, which you don't necessarily see out East. Um, I It's tough too, because I think about this a lot. I've never, I never did this specific role in Boston. So I don't really know how it would be like meeting with like top executives at like banks or brokerage firms and private equity firms in that area because I never really got to do it because we're national. I, I dealt with clients from all across the country, even in my other roles. So I don't really know. I definitely, there's definitely a difference though. You feel it like people are different. I don't know. I don't want to say they're more friendly because, <laughs> you know, obviously Boston has a special place in my heart and I feel like people are very loyal. Um, but I don't know. It definitely is different. Definitely. I'm sure you Feel yeah, that as well. I mean, I think uh, prospecting out here, I mean, certainly I think people make decisions maybe a bit quicker. And, you know, there's certainly more sense of urgency sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, back because you're, like I said, just mentality is very different. So I think here you're, you're constantly kind of gauging that expectation of, okay, you know, how soon do I really let people, you know, sit on something before, right. you know, so um, I, I think that's, that's a huge factor in doing business, understanding that, you know, kind of taking it down a little bit, not being as fast paced, right. and, you know. Maybe and, as intense. Yeah, intense. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so how do you, in your role as account executive, how do you prospect for new for new clients? Um, a lot of web search. A lot of you know, we had somebody that was covering all the West prior to kind of placing all these account executives across the country. So, kind of revisiting some of those clients that, to making sure they're still around too, and you know, visiting them maybe just going back in their office because we haven't done deals with them in a long time, just because there was a lot going on. So um, definitely interesting, you know, for me, like I was talking about our acquisition services, private equity firms would be awesome to be able to work with because they're the ones kind of doing that high level due diligence and they're seasoned investors. Um, so kind of just trying to get them on the phone, uh, which is not always the easiest, but I've had some luck. It's been, it's been interesting to see how that all plays out too. So would you say, now talk about crew, now you're involved with that with Katie, so how is that, you know, you're just at a conference, how, how is, what do you think of that organization and what they've done? So, crew's <laughs> awesome, I have nothing but nice things to say about it, um, it stands for Commercial Real Estate Women, um, I think a big struggle is that this is still kind of a boys club, mm -hmm. and I think that we've made strives, strives, excuse me, to get to, you know, these higher level positions and getting women on the board of committees that are doing real estate and doing big things because there's a place for us. Um, but definitely just great part of networking and getting referrals. I feel like the group of women that I've met through crew have sent that my way. And it just, because 
we're, we're in the same boat. They know how I feel sometimes and we might not ever work together, but they've sent me work. They've introduced me to people. Like even Katie's been a great person to know just cause she knows everybody and she's just so willing to promote me cause she likes me as a person too. Mm -hmm. So it's been cool. And I know you, you've gone into some brokerages and talked and done presentations. So what, what, what are some of the things that you would talk about to, you know, helping brokers and then even, even owners understand what you do and the value you provide? What are some of the things you would? Um, so I think, again, it's more people don't understand the environmental mm -hmm. side of it more than, you know, I think most people know what a roof report's going to entail right. and an elevator report and what cost tables are because they understand that because they work with that every day. Because a lot of owners, they have maintenance done. They have somebody come in and check their roof and, like quarterly sometimes, depending on what they're doing there. So on the environmental side, I think that another challenge I, I face is that, you know, sometimes people aren't understanding why we're saying, hey, you need to do, get more testing, additional work done. And what we kind of do is, you know, we have a great team at EBI. It's awesome. Our phase two team. Our environmental reviewers are always willing to get on the phone with clients. And for me, the best relationships that I feel like I've formed is when clients know there's an issue up front, they haven't gone forward with the deal yet. And they say, hey, can you tell us worst case scenario, best case scenario, and where we might fall in the middle if we choose to go forward with this? Like, what kind of remediation? What's that going to look like on our end? And having those professionals at EBI being able to talk about that, I mean, connecting with the client that way, it's great because it's tough when you have a client that maybe has had a bad experience, not necessarily with EBI, another vendor, and they have a bad taste in their mouth. And then we all fall under the same umbrella because it's not necessarily, you know, you know, I've seen the back end of it. Mm -hmm. You don't know both sides of the story where there was a disagreement because maybe somebody's not understanding fully why someone's recommending that or, you know. How would you say you compete now? Because you guys are national. So that's yeah. probably one of your people are asking, okay, I just want to work with a local or mm -hmm. so, I mean, you guys pull into that national expertise with projects all over that you can really, you know, maybe bridge that gap with clients who really are concerned that a local client might not have experienced, you know, a, a certain issue before. Yeah, I think being at that national level, there are greatest advantages that we've also been around for 30 years as of next year. So we've really kind of seen it all. And we are familiar with most regulations in each state because of that, because we're national, we have to be. Um, I think a big thing is that because we're competing with other national firms, like delivering reports in a timely manner when we say we're going to do it, which we do time and time again, is really important where sometimes, you know, that doesn't always happen. I hear I get feedback on competition or local vendors. Maybe that doesn't happen, but also, if you know somebody for 15 years that's been doing it, it's hard to compete. Right. You know, if they're their friends and they're probably doing just as great of work and they're very familiar with Colorado. Um, but that being said, I have client, you know, there's potential clients here that aren't even doing anything in Colorado. They're doing it outside of the state where like, oh, great. You don't have a local roof vendor or you don't know someone that can do a phase one in, you know, the Midwest somewhere. And, hey, we're a one-stop shop. We can do that for you. So. What would you say the biggest challenge you face in this business, you personally, um, but maybe too as, as a company? Um, personally, I mean, I think it's the sales aspect. Yeah. And I know you probably are right. really familiar with it, the highs and lows with right. it. Um, you know, it's something that you, it's head trash, right? You got to right. work through it. And it's, yeah. 
that's the hardest part. And I think at the end of the day, for me and how I view what we do is that we're trying to help our clients. You know, there's no, there, we are working alongside them for their goal to help them. Um, so I think a, a big challenge, like I was kind of saying earlier, is when they come with a bad taste in their mouth and kind of convincing them like, no, we're here for you. We're here to help you. We're not here to make more work for you. We're here to make sure you're walking into something that you're investing a lot of money in and it's a good decision and you've checked everything out kind of. So. And as, as far as a company, what would you say is, was a big, uh, is a challenge? Um, you guys continue to grow in markets. What would you say is a challenge for your company? Uh, for EBI is a challenge. Again, it's, uh, for me, maybe, again, being out here in Denver by myself has mm -hmm. been a challenge. Um, I definitely feel like I've had support from EBI. It's been interesting being able to kind of do this and like kind of be like an outside contractor, mm -hmm. but working under this powerhouse um, company. Um, but, you know, it's just a struggle of it's getting as many assessors as we possibly can making sure we can meet clients' needs. It's just an ever-growing, as a growing company, that's maybe a bigger struggle. But, you know, we're getting it done, so which is good. And we've done it in the past, so, you know, maybe more people out on the West Coast to get jobs done because right. starting on the East Coast, it's we have a big footprint out there. So, And you have a lot of manpower, but you're right. As you grow your sales funnel, you know, being able to adapt and, and make sure you have enough people to get these reports out. With right. Them you know, 10 days, yeah. you know, and, and deliver. Um, you know, that's huge. Uh, what advice, you know, would you have for somebody getting into this business now that you've, you've been in your role, you start at your level, your account executive, um, if somebody wanted to get into compliance, um, you know, what would you say would be some things to look for, to do, to, to maybe read about, to just get familiar? Um, so I would say, because I believe in global warming, <laughs> that, moving forward, this is an industry that's going to stay and it's going to get even more, you know, uh, sorry, it's going to be more important. Like, you know, we have a sustainability department as well, mm -hmm. where, you know, maybe 50 years from now, we won't be developing all, as much and we're going to have to go into existing buildings to make those sustainable energy audits are mm -hmm. huge. You know, it's like, even with Colorado, with the PACE program and other states that are doing going forward with the PACE program, which is property assessment, clean energy, where they're getting tax credits to go in and be, for an owner, they're probably seeing as a cost saving. But as, on the environmental side, you're saving energy. You're doing something good for the environment and you're using an existing building to do that. Right. So I think on the technical side, engineers, environmental you know, like whatever environmental people in college getting those degrees probably are going to the technical end of it is definitely lucrative. Um, they're always going to be needed, you know, to do those kind of things. So. Well, and, if you, and sustainability too. If you, I mean, if you see the just the financial gain, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, it, it's not just you know for people that have a hard time believing in doing something better for the environment. If you show that the financial benefits right. too, you know, the cost savings it, that, that speaks to anybody. There's no reason to do things. You know, honestly, systems 30 years ago are just not as effective as they are now with, with what we have in technology to make them better. So there, to me, there's no point to right. just in, in keeping those some of those old systems, right? And they're probably costing them money oh. because they're not efficient. Right. So but it's, it's that initial, okay, I have to do this review, and then I have to do this new installation and all this. And it's, it's like, yeah, yeah, and up front, sure. But in the long run, if you're looking at a 20-year, 10 to 20-year hold on a building, you want to know really what's going to be cost effective. 
you don't want to have to worry about replacing things every couple of years. Right. And if you're saving on utilities, why not? Right. Yeah. That's, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I guess what are some of some bad habits you see in, in the business as far as what owners are, are doing? Uh, maybe once they get these reports or turning a blind eye to, what, what would you say things that, you know, people, <laughs> you know, uh, shouldn't just overlook um, beyond just, okay, it's not in compliance, but things that are, that are pretty, pretty bad. Um, again, it's, it's not getting the reporting done in the first place. I think that's the biggest, it's, it, this is how I think about it. I used to sell cars mm-hmm. when I first graduated college, that's what I did. And I feel like that helped me a lot when I went to buy my first car three years ago that I didn't have for like 10 years. It was handed down to me, but walking into something I knew exactly what was important to me and when I sat down with that person that was trying to sell me all the stuff that, Hey, might be important to somebody else. It's not important to me, but I did my due diligence and I said, I want gap insurance. Cause I know that's going to cost me less money here than it will. If I go through my insurance provider and they're going to make me pay a fee for it every month. So again, it's like, you know, blindly buying something that you're spending millions of dollars on and then finding out like, Hey, Oh, I got to replace the roof. The parking garage in is in terrible shape and just not being like, just not wanting to spend that money up front, but in re- reality, if we find something and you're like, you can use that as trade value, it probably is going to co- cover the cost of what you paid for due diligence and then some, you know? So it's for me, like I, I don't really see a lot of, you know, people turning a blind eye to environmental issues because really we're reporting. I don't really know what happens, you know, once it's out of our hands, um, there have been like a lot of unfortunate cases that I've seen here in Denver, you know, where something was missed initially and, and then we found it after the fact and you know, that stinks. You own a building, you find out, Oh, there was an underground storage tank here and I have to do remediation or I might not be able to sell it. Um, so it really just all depends. Like I, I you know, I try not to think about that because yeah. I want to, I hope people internally are good but it's the one thing I do believe in what we, we do as, you know, environmental consultants at EBI is that we try to, you know, provide all the information that they can to kind of move forward to either go forward with the deal or mediate whatever or not. Because they're like, well, that's a that's risk. I don't want to do that, you know, so. And you're helping them minimize that unnecessary risk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, we're providing information where, like, actually, it's not a risk, right. you know, good thing you did this phase two. Now you have this, you know, maybe it's a no further action letter after remediation. Maybe it's, Hey, we didn't find anything. You're good. You're under the levels. Great. You did your due diligence. So yeah. Any, uh, any crazy, uh, stories here, experiences, uh, with, with any particular situation, um, maybe an underground storage tank. I mean, I know those are, those are, uh, uh, a big thing, <laughs> but, uh, Anything particular that you... So recently, we kind of been getting involved with PACE loans. It's very interesting to okay. me. I think yeah. it's great. But, they, you know, and they're not they're not necessarily these, these huge numbered loans. They could be like $150,000. It could be a million um, because they're replacing a system. They might be doing lighting. They might be doing windows, roof, whatever. Um, cool concept. Like with the yeah. whole green roofing thing, they can help finance that. Okay. the Denver law that passed and all that. But um, we did, we just do like a small minimal report, just database review with historical. So we pull the database review, the historical information, 
and we say like what we found and um, the person that was getting the loan, basically there was underground storage tank that the prior environmental consultant missed. And we were like, you gotta get, you should get the soil sampled. You should get a phase two done. And it, and that's a tough conversation to have because it was on a $400,000 loan right. through the pace lender who wasn't the traditional lender on the deal. So that's kind of like for them, I mean, I didn't have to break the news to the client, but it was a lot of phone calls. And I was very thankful for my knowledgeable staff that could speak to it and explain why. And, you know, so they could understand, well, what was going on. So that was interesting. I mean, that just kind of stunk. Um, but really nothing too like crazy that's happened. That's not here so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard about pace loans, and uh, certainly there, there's all sort of incentive out there to get your building in, 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 uh, in better condition as far as, uh, you know, being more sustainable, too. So I I think there's tons of incentives out there. People just don't know about them. Yeah. So. I, I feel like in the next 10 to 15 years, it will be a thing. I hope. <laughs> I hope. So how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way if they have uh, questions about what, what you do and, and, you know, maybe just uh, your, your view on, uh, you know, Denver? <laughs> <laughs> Um, they can call me 508-527-4810. If they ever want any particular information about EBI Consulting, ebiconsulting.com. You just Google it. It'll come up. It provides all our service lines. We also do real estate, telecom, retail, sustainability. We kind of have a big wheelhouse, which is great. Um, in Denver, I'm excited to be here. I think there's a lot going on. I think on the development side, on the real estate side, um, it's been in very interesting being here and seeing things change and, you know, meeting new people. And hopefully I'll be able to do some more business here this coming 2019, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what we all hope for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you, Kayla. And uh, we appreciate you having you on our podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.